Before we begin episode two, on behalf of everyone at Well-Traveled Records, we stand with all people of color in the fight for equality today. To learn more and to learn how you can get involved, visit blacklivesmatter.com. Today on Crazy Enough, we've got such a great interview episode in store. We're going to cover quite a few topics, but most of all, we're going to see how doing what you love each and every day is a key part of a fulfilling journey. Before we begin, I really want to challenge you to let these interview episodes widen your perspective. We have such a wide variety of professions and perspectives represented in season one, ranging from DJs to videographers, financial advisors to video game designers. Everyone's paths are going to be different, but use the similarities and the contrast to pull out bits and pieces of practical advice that you can use on your journey. With that said, I'm so excited for this episode. Just about a year ago when the pieces of this podcast finally started to come together, I flew out to Columbus, Ohio to hang out with a good friend of mine, Alex Chacon. You'll hear his story in just a bit, but Alex is someone I always knew wasn't capable of settling. So Alex, thank you for being one of the first to believe in this vision of Crazy Enough. And without further ado, Here's episode two. All right, everyone. Um, so I am here today in Columbus, Ohio. My guest today is a friend of mine I have met uh, met a long time ago. Uh, it's been a good amount of years now. He's been a lot of places, and that's what we're going to talk about today. And so this is Alex Chacon. Hi, everybody. So I want to start with kind of where you started. Back, let's go like college days. When you started, you started your journey in college. What were you looking to do? What were you looking to pursue? Um, drinking and party. Oh, I got you. Okay, cool. <laughs> no, but for real though, I, when I first went to college, I had no idea. So I initially was just a business major, um, and I basically spent all my time, uh, like all of my free time, pretty much just drinking and playing music. And I, I've played piano since I was six. And since that's what I end up spending all my time doing, I should I should actually add because this will be relevant later: drinking, playing music, and playing video games. <laughs> and the they all were very um, they have become very integral to who I am as a person. So yes, as he sips his <laughs> wine, um, I can relate to a lot of that. I think when when I started college, I had this clear picture in my head: this is what I'm going to do. Um, which I don't think a lot of people have that. Um, but what I, what I will say is that. Um, I too went to college kind of from external pressure, if you will. It was kind of the only option I think a lot of parents have for their kids. It's like, uh, this is the thing you do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't, I don't think it was even in the cards for me not to go, which, you know, and I, I count it as definitely a blessing that we were able to afford, you know, the supplement. I was able to get some insurance or some scholarships for it. Um, but I think looking back, I would not have attended. Would you say the same if you had the <clears throat> ultimate choice? That is such a tough one. On the one hand, you know, I these days I mainly make a living from being a game programmer, and if I had gotten into coding earlier on, um, or at least gone out and tried to just make my way in a career without having to spend five years, you know, before doing that, I could have at least saved time and gotten to where I am now quicker. So I think let me, um, I guess, clarify a bit because I, I, when I say I wouldn't have gone to college, I, I mean purely for the sake of the degree. Um, mm-hmm. I still value my time in college because of all the people I met, the experiences I got to have, sure. um, the Grammy program, which we'll talk about in a minute. Yeah, we're only um, here doing this now because of college. So yeah, that's one of the kind of things that I For sure. Think and I think about. if you know you look at the more existential should I have gone to college thing, that's a harder question. But I think purely for the value of what it offered versus the expense or the um, yeah. investment, um, I think a lot of people would agree that it was not worth it. 
Yeah, I, they, uh, that's true. And I, I was lucky because my parents paid for my college. But it's not even just the cost, although that's definitely a huge part of it. I mean, if you're leaving with 50 grand in debt, that's just a huge burden yeah, to be absolutely. saddled with. Um, but it's also the time because you're spending four or five years basically making no headway and learning whether or not this is what you really want to do with your life. Sure. Because when you're in class, that doesn't that does not translate to the workplace. Just right. when you learn about a subject that does tells you nothing about whether or not that's something that you want to do for the rest of your life. And I think it's there's something to be said about certain vocations that, you know, you kind of have to have formal training for, whether it's of course. you know, medical, um accounting. Law, yeah. Yeah. Um, but for a lot of these pursuits, I think that most people have or will at least at some point try in their life, um, specifically artistic pursuits. Oh, yeah. Um, it's hard to recommend a formal education, if you will, for something that you could do on YouTube or something that you could, you know. Right. Now, I would say if you do want to go my route and be a game programmer and you know from the start that that's what you want to do, you should definitely get a computer science degree. Or if you really want to be on the cutting edge, you know, go and get a doctorate in machine learning or something like that. Those yeah, things so will something definitely like, be of use to you. Something that's more, um, but you're still talking about things that are more skill-based, right? Yeah, so yeah. yeah, basically what I'm saying is that formal education is only good pretty much for hard skills. Right, okay. And relationships. That's But, but again, it's hard to, to put a dollar value on relationships. I ended up being super lucky um, and and actually with my organ teacher that I had when I added on a music business major and that he was just one of the best people I've ever known who really kind of just reoriented the way that I approached life in general. But that's not something that you can count on or something that you can really quantify with a dollar right, value. Exactly. So I couldn't give a recommendation of going to college just based off of that experience. That was something that I was extremely fortunate to get. Sure. So you get involved in with the Grammys, the Recording Academy. So for people yep. who aren't aware, the Recording Academy is a much larger umbrella that houses the Grammys within it. The Grammys are, of course, the most recognizable portion of the Recording Academy, but they do a lot more. Um, so one of those programs they started um, you know, not terribly long ago was the Grammy U. And so tell us about how you got involved with Grammy U. So when I first became a music business major, I was finally doing something that I was passionate about and I wanted to get involved outside of the classroom um, and not just kind of, you know, have your typical student experience of going and learning the required material and stopping there. I wanted to kind of have one foot in the industry by the time I graduated. And that's exactly what Grammy U is for. And I actually first just heard about, someone actually came to one of the classes that I was in as part of my music business curriculum and passed out flyers for a Grammy U event that was on campus. And Do you I remember what the event was, just wondering. Yeah, it was a the kickoff party. So this was at the University of Texas, and every year they host a kickoff party that's in on the uh, UT lawn in front of the tower. And I showed up, and I, I knew nobody there. I showed up alone, and I just introduced myself to as many people as possible, and I uh, told the, the people who actually worked there um, that I wanted to become involved and asked how I could do that. And um, Joey and I's mutual friend, Christy Albino, she immediately like started guiding me towards how mm, I could yeah. how I could take steps to do that. I, I just still remember that kickoff event for myself. They had it at uh, DBU Dallas Baptist. That's where I went to college. Right. Um, and I remember thinking, whenever they kind of talked about the program, and you know, they're like, it's only fifty dollars, and it's you get it for six years or like basically forever. And I was just like. Why would you not do that? I was like, That's it was just such a good deal and such a yeah. like a you know, and you hear the name the Grammys, if, especially if you're not familiar with it, and you just think like, wow, like yes, I want to be involved in that. And so I, you know, signed up like as soon as I could, basically. Um, and little did I know, 
that would open the gateway for so many experiences, so many things in, in college. And I think, honestly, that's one of the most valuable things I got from college was Grammy U. Absolutely. Um, Me too. So anyway, so you said you, you said, signed up, you met people. Um, how did you go from just you know, signing up to eventually your role there with the Grammys? I pretty much just kept showing up to all the events because, like I said, I was trying to get into a position where by the time I graduated, I already had one foot in the industry. So, because I was really worried about the viability of it all, about being able to actually work once I graduated. And music. Yeah, I mean, I literally since middle school, I had worried about what do you do once you graduate from college. But then once once I decided to work in the music industry, then it was especially like this is a really difficult field to get into, and it's kind of like it's on the kind of on the downfall because of you know like uh, like music pirating and all that stuff. So you got to really, really, really have your, your ducks in a row if you're going to actually make this work. I still remember I was with a, um, a group from DBU. They basically chose like a weird like select group of students. I don't know how they did it, but they wanted to go lobby basically for things um, in Austin mm-hmm. at the government. And so like, uh, and there were different things we were supposed to talk about, you know, mainly for like private school funding. And I don't know what all was involved, but I do remember... Um, I had I was in a meeting with my local representative, and this is one of the first times I was kind of exposed to this world of you know, not necessarily lobbying, but just you know talking to your representatives. And I remember him asking me, "So what do you want to do? How are you going to pay taxes?" Yep. And I was like, I didn't have an answer for him. And I was like, I was because th- I was thinking about music and you know what I wanted to do, and I was like, I had all these aspirational goals that were kind of fed to me by people around me or like the culture and like you know oh I want I know I want to want to do in music like I know what I enjoy, but like. I don't know how that makes money. You know, I don't know how that's a job. Right. And I remember, I still remember that question because it got me thinking like, how is this actually going to be income? You know, how are you not just doing this for fun? When I, when I graduated, I want to make sure that I had a way of actually making a career out of it instead of it just being a useless degree. So yeah, I, I pretty much just started going to every single Grammy U event that I could because it seemed like it was the best chance that I had at actually making a career out of it. And that turned out to be 100% true. So they made me an ambassador first, which is like for the camp or for the yeah for the specific for the campus specific school yeah yeah for the specific school university they had ambassadors, um, so I was an ambassador and that was great. And then they actually wanted me to become the intern, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time that I was interviewing for the Graham U internship, I was also uh, interviewing for an internship at ACO Live. And I actually got both of them, and I turned down the Grammy U internship for the ACL really? Live internship. Yeah, yeah. And it's because they were pretty upfront about the Grammy U internship. It's just like you're basically a secretary. Like you're getting coffee, and you're like responding to the emails that the executive director doesn't want to respond to, and returning phone calls for, you know, kind of more rote things and stuff like that. Whereas the ACL Live internship, you were much more a part of the marketing team and had more involvement in creative decisions and stuff like that. And then also you got, you know, you got to see any shows at ACL Live, which was amazing. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I picked that one. And I think the ironic thing about it was that when you say no to somebody, it just makes them want you more. <laughs> <laughs> when you turn someone down, they just want you more. Um, Can relate, but go ahead. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, just kidding. Um, so then when the time came around for the really big college position, which was the Grammy U um, uh, representative, you know, they really wanted me for that one because I had done this other music industry internship and I had turned down the, the Grammy U intern position. 
And so I ended up becoming the representative who was kind of like uh, the liaison between all of the different uh, uh, campuses. Okay, so between the two internships, um, what are some of the most valuable experiences you think you got from either or, from ACL or GrammyU? The first one is we, uh, there was this program called Sound Checks uh, with, yeah, the, yeah, with the Grammys. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So basically these huge artists would come through town and before they do their concert, uh, you get to interview them as like a Grammy U uh, member or whatever. The, the coolest one that I did it was with Lincoln Park in Houston, mm. and this was like right. Rest in peace. I, I think this was actually yeah, exactly. Rest in peace, Chester. And my best friend to this day, who was my best friend from high school, um, he's huge in Lincoln Park and had been for years. And I just kind of like casually invited him to go to this sound check event with Lincoln Park not knowing if we were even going to get tickets or whatever. I was just yeah, like, yeah. hey, if you register as a Grammy U member, then we can go and interview the band. And he was like, yeah, man. So <laughs> so we basically went on a road trip to Houston, and um, we get there, and like we get to go backstage, and we're talking with the band manager and all that stuff, and we do get to inter- interview the band. And I remember it's so funny, Chester comes out, and he's got like a little thing of Pedialyte because that's how he like hydrated before. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. it was like a full body workout, man, the yeah. way that he did his concerts. And like my my best friend, like he literally was shaking for like hours, <laughs> just like getting to like meet one of his idols. And then yeah. we, after that, they they gave us tickets to the show, and they were actually front row seats. Oh, nice. Yeah. So like we literally like we and we didn't even know like we just got tickets yeah, just, and we're yeah, like thank sure. you so much. Yeah. And then we like literally presented our tickets to the ushers, not even knowing where the seats were, and mm-hmm. they just kept like telling us to go closer and closer to the stage until finally we're like. Oh my God, we're going to the very, very front. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my friend, like, is literally at this point having a seizure. Yeah. So that was kind of like, that's kind of more an experience where it was just like a really great moment that I'll never forget. Didn't do much for me, like, career wise or like, you know, like making a living out of this. Sure. But, you know, you have to, you I mean, have I to think, have moments that have value in and of themselves, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, when I started my ambassadorship role, I tried to really maximize those opportunities. Um, so not just the ones we did in the area, in Dallas. You know, I would try to go to anything I could, whatever city it was in. And I remember um, I just started to reach out to people. And it was yeah. like, this is the, one of the coolest ones. I reached out to uh, the DC rep for Sam Smith. Yep. And I said, hey, I'm an ambassador. I was like, I'm just going to happen to be in town. And that was kind of a lie. I was like, going for it, you know? But I was like, you know, I'm going to be in town, like, you know, anything I can do to help you guys, whatever. And the short version is, I don't remember the specifics of it, but I remember getting there and essentially the uh, original person who was supposed to be there, like maybe was late or something. I don't remember what the exact situation was, but I remember them asking me like, hey, can you just do this? And I guess whoever was involved, maybe Sam Smith's manager at the time, whoever it was, just assumed that I was like in charge. And um <laughs> It's and so started asking me questions. Happens. Yeah, yeah, and I was like, <laughs> and it was I just played into it because the yeah. the actual like person that was there from the DC chapter, she was just off doing something else, you know, talking to other people, and I was like, I'm gonna milk this, like I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna use this. So like, um, so Sam came out, you know, he did the sound check. He just sang a, some sad song, and um, as he does, <laughs> yeah, as he want to do. Um, and it was, you know, he did the Q and A. I think I still had like a clipboard or something with me, and so like, I just started talking to Sam afterward. And we just started talking about you know music and um, 
I was asking him, you know, how has all this been? Like, this is, you know, you're you're still pretty new to this world. Yeah, right? that's what I was gonna ask. And he, um, he was just like zero to hero, at right? That point, and he right? was like, he's like, honestly, I'm like terrified every time I get on stage. He's like, I don't, I'm not like a dancer. I'm not like somebody who does choreography. He's like, but yeah. I have to like, I can't just stand there in front of a yeah. mic, you know. He's not even like jacked or anything. Yeah, he's kind of got and, like a dad bod. Well, at, at the time, <laughs> he definitely like he had still he was like just off, you know, his like huge famous ride with uh, whatever. Stay with me. Yeah, yeah, that was just right when that that came out. But I remember just him being so kind and so like you know very still like just thankful for the situation. And I think mm-hmm. I remember maybe people's, um, I remember artists' mannerisms and like their attitude more than necessarily the words they say because you can say whatever you want in an interview. Um, yeah. But I think I remember the artists that are always you know either thankful or courteous or the people that you know ask your name when they walk in the room. They don't just assume that they're the most important thing. Right, and it's. Um, you know, and it, it's not my aspiration to be any one of those people, but I think it just says something about, you know, how talented people, you know, when, if you do find yourself in that spotlight, um, how much further it gets you when you're kind to people and when you're, you know, respectful. And, um, yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about your move to New York. When did you start looking at New York as a possibility to move to, and why was that on your radar? So I. St- you're, you're in Austin at this point, right? Yeah. I was in Austin and I wanted to move to New York. I. It was so cheesy. But <laughs> the reason why I really started, why New York started to kind of grow on my brain, well, I guess there's a, there was a few things, but the first two were simply that my favorite shows of the time were How I Met Your Mother and 30 oh, Rock. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, at the same, so, you know, you're watching those shows and you're like, oh, man, I wish I could live that life. But also, you know, from a pragmatic perspective, it is still like the biggest part of the music industry. Have and you I, had you visited at that point? Like had you spent a lot of time there? So that, yeah, that's kind of what I was going to mention next was I, I mentioned uh, my uh, organ teacher uh, who was one of the most fortunate relationships I've had in my life who I uh, started studying under in college. And he actually died while I was studying under him. And he, for most of his career, was the organist and choir master at uh, St. Thomas Cathedral in New York. And we were actually, the entire organ studio at the University of Texas was flown up to New York to attend his uh, his Requiem Mass mm. um, after he died. And, I mean, it, it was, I mean, sh- talk about, you know, these kind of moments that you'll never forget. I mean, I'll remember that till the day I die. But also just getting to be in New York for basically the first time. Technically, I was there mm. as a kid, but I don't really remember it. Sure. I was super young. Um but getting to be there for the first time and just you know starting to kind of think about the what it would be like to live there and just constantly be in that environment and then also knowing that it was the center of the music industry that's sure. what really kind of all got you know the wheels turning until before you know I knew I was I had just determined like yes this is something I'm going to do I'm going to move mm-hmm. here and live so here So did you have like did you have a plan at all or did were you just like I'm going to go there that I just want to the be plan. there yeah, yeah yeah that was the plan yeah, which um, is the only way to do it, in my opinion. Unless you get hired for a job, I know sure. some people do that and they get moved across the country. But for but the I most part, you just got to go. Yeah, yeah, it is, yeah. Like you, also, you have to already be working for an established company and have a good role and, right. and good salary and all that kind of stuff in order for that kind of opportunity to be available to you. For sure. For the most part, if you're like in college or a recent college grad, you just have to do it. You just have to take the plunge. So you talk about kind of moving to New York as with the idea of you want to be in this environment. And I, I assume you're mentioning kind of the environment of people that are equally as motivated, equally as like 
you know, moving around, doing things. Like there's just a lot happening around you all the time. Yeah. At least that's what it is for me. Like when I go to cities like New York or LA or wherever, I think I'm just inspired by the fact that it's like you you have to survive if you're there. It's like you can't just you can't just coast. So in a lot mm-hmm. of cities, you know, in a lot of like, you know, affordable cities, if you will, it's easier to just coast, to get a normal job, to Absolutely. do to live your life, to have yeah. like some comfort. But I think the idea that you move to a city like New York or LA and you're forced to be in this uncomfortable place. You either have to live in a really small place, whatever money you make, but it doesn't go as far. Yeah. And so you're you're just kind of forced to do something. You're forced to act. And I think that's my that's what I think a lot of people are obsessed with about those environments is getting into this environment where you're forced to do something. One of the things I used to do actually so for two of my different jobs while I lived in New York, I was a couple blocks away from Times Square. And it's funny because most people who live in New York hate Times Square. Yeah, they never go there. Costs. Right. Yeah, but what I used to do actually is whenever I had a break uh, for either of those jobs, one of the things I used to do is I would just go and I would walk over to the steps in the middle of Times Square and just and just sit on the steps and just just kind of people watch. And and not and not just people watch, but also I'd watch all the billboards and stuff mm. like that, all the different uh-huh. advertisements and things like that, because it just really made me feel connected because you just know that the things that are happening there are happening all across the world. Like you feel like you're at the at like the heartbeat. Like if you think about yeah. like culture as a human body, it's like you're in the heart, and the and the pumps that are happening there are going to resonate all throughout the entire blood system. That's kind of how mm. I felt about it. So when you when you were making this journey, was there anything that was holding? Like, is there anything that held you back, or were you just ready? Were you just ready to go? Yeah, I there was really nothing holding me back. I knew what I wanted to do, and I just did it. Yeah, and I mean, it didn't. It was rough. It was difficult, but I knew it would be. What I mean, when you say it's difficult, what what was difficult about it? Well, when I first moved there, I had one suitcase. And a backpack filled with all of my possessions, mm. <laughs> um, and I was living in a ghetto. I didn't even have a bed when I moved there for mm. like a month. I was just sleeping on a wooden floor on my own laundry. <laughs> yeah, and I had no job, no income, mm. no friends, not even a contact. Well, a couple contacts is a gram you, but not really. But anyone. nothing like immediately in front of you. Yeah, exactly. But I'm really, really glad that I did it because I mean, once you once you just kind of throw yourself to the wolves like that and you realize that and you get through it and you realize, hey, I didn't die, <laughs> then you know that like no matter what life throws your way, you're going to be fine. You'll mm. find a way yeah. to make it work. You learn that you can get through hard times, you know. Yeah. But is there something that you just you realized about yourself in that time? I, I was there for about two months before I got a job in the entertainment industry working at, at uh, Broadway Across America, which sells tickets um, for Broadway shows across America, as the name would imply. And I remember I was working there for about a month before one night I literally woke up in the middle of the night and I just had the thought of, well, this isn't going to be it. Like, this isn't going to be what I'm going to do with my life. Mm. And it really, that was kind of what I learned about myself is that like, I'm, I'm not going to be satisfied with something that's just okay. Yeah. Like I have to be involved in doing something that I really, really, really care about or yeah. it's or it's not going to work. I'm going to move on to something else. Mm, absolutely. I think everyone gets there and I think it's okay to to redefine your expectations and to redefine um, you know, what your priorities are in life. But I don't think anybody should do it without trying that other thing first. 
You know, like mm-hmm. if if you're gonna like, I have a lot of friends that have moved to L.A., New York, um, you know, Nashville, whatever it may be, um, in pursuit of like the dream, if you will, mm-hmm. and. I think I mean, well, more than seventy percent of them have ended up either moving home or or just finding some kind of plan B. That's true. And seventy percent. Um, I mean, at least of my friends, you know. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I just mean like of the people I know. Thought you might have read like a Verge article. Or something <laughs> yeah, like I'm that. just gonna make up a number. Yeah. Uh, okay. Fifty-four no, percent of statistics <laughs> are made up on the spot. Yeah, so. exactly. Uh, so uh, <laughs> no, I just I have a lot of friends that have gone out and pursued the dream, you know, quote unquote. It's not a, necessarily a bad thing to pivot, but I just I look at the why. You know, I try to see like um, a good friend of mine. Actually, ironically, his name's also Alex. We had a really good conversation once. I still remember to this day where we talked about, you know, your priorities changing and the fact that you know when he was young and single and was talented and had this like dream of like this is what I want to do. That was one path, but then as his life started to change and his priorities shifted, where you know he had now a fiance and. Um, other things started to pop up on the horizon. He was like, where am I truly happiest? And for him, that answer was, you know, with his wife, Mm -hmm. starting a potential family, um, you know, being in a more financially stable place. And it started to kind of shift where, you know, they were in LA, they were in LA for two years and um, he had a really good thing going. And he was like, you know, if I was here and still single and still like in that original mindset I had four years ago, I would probably kill it out here. I'd probably make it, you know, do whatever. He's like, but that's just not where I'm happiest anymore. And because my happiness is now not just me, it's my wife and it's my, you know, my future family and whatever that means. And so I think that was a time in my life in general where I think I actually looked down on people that didn't pursue what they loved and didn't actually like do their fullest. Um, And I think about why, and I think it's honestly because I, I, I was afraid of that myself. You know, because I didn't, I didn't want to end up in that place where I was settling for less. But I don't see it as that anymore. I think I, I see it as like, if your priorities truly change and that's what you want to pursue, that's the thing that is going to make you happier and more fulfilled. But I still say that with caution because I think you could do the same things, you could live the same actions without actually going for it and without actually pursuing what you know you're good at, what you know you're meant to do in this world. Um, and then you'd be at a real loss because I think you'll always wonder what if. Um, and I think that's where a lot of people find themselves is that, you know, they're thinking I'm in this place, I'm in this, you know, however old they are, especially college, it's easy to, to look at the future. But as you start getting older, you know, later twenties, thirties, even, um, you think it's, is it too late for me? Is it too late for me to do this, do that? Um, but I think what I want to like pivot to, I guess, in this conversation is, you know, you're, so you're in New York at this point and you're doing things and you're, you actually start to see things moving. How long did it take to get to that point where you were like finally like, you know, seeing like something work out for you? I, I got a job in the entertainment industry after two years working for Broadway, but it was really not, it wasn't a bad job by any means, but I was just selling tickets. But it wasn't what the, you wanted. On the phones. It wasn't what I wanted. It wasn't the music industry. And also it wasn't any, anything. I mean, you were basically a grunt worker. You were answering the phone. Yeah. Um, and I actually was trying to get other positions at the time, like other in the same company, but it, it just didn't really work out. Um, it was really, it took two years before I finally just got so dejected that at one point I literally just sent an email to this uh, lady that I had gotten to know pretty well um, at the New York chapter of the Grammys. And I was like, hey, can we meet for coffee? I just really need to talk to you. And so we did. And I was like, look, I've been here for two years. I've been trying really hard 
to work in the music industry and it's just not happening. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. Is there anything you can do to help me? And she just reached out to a bunch of the people that she knew and said, hey, I've got this guy. He's, he's, he's stellar. This is her words, not mine. Um, and he, um, and he's, he's incredible. He's the most amazing yeah, person I've ever met. Right? He's, he's just amazingly talented and good looking. And he wants a job. And yeah, she, she referred me to um, a few different people that she knew, and one of them ended up panning out. So I ended up working for a music library called Man- Manhattan Production Music. So basically what a music library does is they have a huge catalog of music that they own, um, and they try to shop it out to different... Uh, mm. It's mostly like TV shows sure. and movies and trailers and all that kind of stuff, but sometimes you know it can be... Um, like we had colleges that would play our music during uh, football so they, I mean, games they're doing and stuff sync like licensing. That. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And and we actually had some really cool clients, like some of my favorite TV shows ever. Like we had some placements in How I Met Your Mother and Silicon mm. Valley. That's and, why you were there. How I Met Your Mother. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Right. It all ended up working out. Also, I mean, I the do, show was over by that point, yeah, so yeah. it didn't matter. I do remember. <laughs> so we went. To, what is it? What's the name of the bar? I've told people about it. Yeah, the How I Met Your Mother bar. Yeah. Oh man, I used to go there all the time. No, I know because oh, we what met was it there. Called? I met yeah. you and Corey there. Oh, that's um, a good time. McGee's. McGee's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. It's on. Uh, what is it? It's like fifty seconds or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh-huh. and, and something. Broadway. It's a cool spot. It's, it's not Broadway, yeah. but it's close. If to you've Broadway. seen the show, if you've you know if you've if you're a fan of the show at all in any remote fashion, it's cool to check it out. So, at this point, how long how how far into your New York journey are you at this point? Um, so it was like three years after I moved on to New, after I moved to New York and really what kind of took over was, and this was while I was still at the music library, there wasn't much creativity involved in the job. And I actually got bored and ended up like, I just had an idea for a video game and I just mm. was like, well, shoot, I guess I'll, I'm bored. So I guess I'll just try to make it, see what happens. Yeah. And I taught myself how to code. So you knew nothing about coding yet. Nothing. Okay. Literally nothing. And how? So how did you start learning how to code? I was like looking back. I was so naive. I thought that if I had an idea for a video game, and now I know that anyone who actually works in games hates the kind of person that I was. <laughs> um, I thought that if I had an idea for a video game, I could just like f- find someone to do the coding part for me. <laughs> and, and then do, yeah, and they do the yeah, coding. and like I'll be like the creative guru, and mm. you'll like make the thing, and they'll get five percent of the company. I'll make all the money. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> well, not you know, I would have given them more than five percent, but yeah, like I wanted to be more the person who came up with the ideas and the dialogue and the game design aspects and stuff like that. And yeah, sure, I'd find someone to code it. But I uh, thought that it would be a good idea to learn some basic coding so that I would at least know how to communicate with a programmer. Okay. So yeah, I really kind of just fell into that and I started going to a bunch of indie game gaming uh, meetups and organizations and stuff like that in New York. And I started making this game. Um, and before I knew that, that was actually one of the reasons why I quit the music library job that I had is that I ended up caring way more and, and way more of my brain space was devoted to this game that I was making on the side than towards my actual job that was my full-time job. Mm. Um, 
So I thought, like, well, crap, maybe this is what I should really be so doing. So at this point, you're still working for the music company, but you're also working on your game. Yeah, and yeah. frankly, I was spending a lot of my time at the music company working on my game. <laughs> so, so how? I, this is like this is fascinating. This is like a good key thing to focus on, I think, because I think a lot of people find themselves in that place where they, mm-hmm. you know, they need an income, so they're mm-hmm. still at a job, but they're still pursuing something creative, something that they know they're passionate about on the side. You're at your you're at this job, but you're pursuing your creative. You know, side hustle on the side. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what does that look like? How long was that kind of like in between where you're doing both? Uh, it was about six months, I'd say. So, and so talk me through those six months because this is, I think, where a lot of people, one, kind of need to start. Like, that's for most people, they're not just going to up and leave their job to go, you know, do what they're passionate about. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're still trying to figure out how they're going to leave or how they're going to, you know, plan their exit, do the thing that they want to do. What, is, what were those six months like? Yeah, well, I mean, again, I kind of touched on this a second ago, but to be frank, they, they're they very naive at the music library. <laughs> um, so anyway, yeah. Well, no, this is for real. And I bet, and here's the thing, uh, this, this is not a rare circumstance. I know for a fact that many, many people are in a very similar situation to what I'm about to describe, where you get a job and you're super gung-ho about it, and you want to like prove to your bosses that you're like there to get the job done. And at <laughs> yeah, first, sure. like you, any time that you're done with a task, you're like, okay, what else you got? And then you're like, okay, what else you got? Yeah. Okay, what else you got? And then at a certain point, you're like, they don't really have anything else they need me to do. Like, yeah, every time I ask for yeah, more yeah, stuff for to sure. do, they give me more stuff to do, but the stuff that they're giving me is just a waste of time. And at a certain point, you realize like this job this nine to five job that I'm supposed to spend eight hours doing, I can really do in three hours. I could, oh yeah, absolutely. I could literally show up, and I could I could work from nine to noon, and then instead of breaking for lunch, I could just go home, and it would be fine. <laughs> I would get everything done that I need to get done. So, um, that's uh, I, I pretty much started spending all of the excess time just doing game stuff. I want to get a little just more into because I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that are trying to code or trying to do something of the sort where they just yeah. they start at zero. They start at right. like I just I want to do this thing, but I don't know how. So mm-hmm. what were you doing to get there? Like what were some of the things you learned to code with? Well, there's a site called Code Academy. Um, that's a pretty good you know crash course, and then eventually there are sites uh, called Udemy and um, Udacity. Udacity you, you have to pay for, it, but the, it's it's pretty good. Mm. Udemy is very cheap. Um, and offers really, really good basic coding courses and things like that. But then really, honestly, your biggest and most valuable resources, when you're not only when you're starting, but even once you're a professional working full-time, Google and YouTube. Every problem that you encounter has been encountered before, and someone has asked about it on Stack Overflow mm. or the, the Unity boards or whatever it is. And it's, even it's in, been solved yeah. before, and someone has put it on, put the solution online. And I think, and that's you can apply that to any other field too. Absolutely, right? You know, Absolutely. not just coding. Yeah. Um, and so, so you're learning how to code. You're, you know, you're at this job. This is the part they're most hesitant about, maybe most fearful about, and yeah. um, is taking that step where they say, "I'm leaving this job. I'm leaving this security, and I'm going to go do the thing I want to do." Right. I've always been a person of, of pretty extreme conviction. As far as like once I realize that I'm not going to be satisfied with the current state of my life, I pretty much immediately take action to change it. 
and I, I, I don't want to get too like philosophical here or anything like that, but I think a large part of that is just because I'm not religious. So to me, this life is all that we have. And if you're yeah. not, if you're not satisfied with where you are, you have to change it because this is all you got. Like yeah. once you're dead, that's it. Yeah, I mean, so I you think have that, to take advantage of the time that you have while you have it. And I think that can, I mean that could be said for anyone. You know, I mean, it, whether you're religious or not, mm-hmm. you know, like that's it's equally true of the time we have here. I think there's a lot of circumstances in life that can get you to that point where you realize just how valuable your time is and your life is. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of that, you know, can come from whether it's loss. Um, you know, that's something that I've been dealing with lately. And um, I think just something that makes you realize, like. I don't want to live another week where I just feel like that week is going to just go by like every other week. Right, where I'm just existing, right. not really living. And yeah. I want to do something that where I know I'm building towards something. And, right, um, right. You mentioned that you're somebody who would do that a little more easily than some people. Yeah. But I think that doesn't discount the fact that like that's still something you did. It's still a decision you made. Yeah. Um, so what was that pivot point like? So the hardest part actually for me wasn't, because you mentioned stability, and that part I wasn't so worried about because I had already... You know, as as I talked about, I'd already moved to New York, right, having, you'd already having nothing, yeah, with no job, sure. knowing no one. So I knew I'd be fine there. I knew I could support myself or figure out a way to do it. Um, the biggest obstacle was actually just the the interpersonal stuff. Like my boss at the time had been nothing but a gentleman to me, and just like I felt like it was kind of a betrayal because. You know, here was this company that had gone out on a limb when I was struggling to find work in the music industry, and like after just a year, I was I felt like I was bailing on them when they had done nothing wrong per se. Yeah. Um, so that was the biggest obstacle. I didn't want to be a disappointment to people. I think that mm. that's honestly where I think most that's big. Yeah. people. I think that that's actually bigger than stability. Yeah. Like my um. Like if it was just you in a box and nobody else had anything to do with you. Yeah. Then you could probably make more decisions that you'd want to make. Exactly. Yeah. My my brother actually, I hope he doesn't listen to this. Um, <laughs> he uh, he's been working for my dad's company uh, for probably about four years now, maybe five. He's been miserable the whole time. He's told me he hates it. He wants to do something else with his life, but he hasn't been able to move on. Because he knows he would be such a disappointment mm. to our father if he told him that he wanted to do something else with his life. And it's just so sad because I get it 100%. Yeah. I completely understand not wanting to be that disappointment. Um, and you yeah, know, absolutely. I, yeah, and, and I felt that even when I had no blood relation to the person that I was working for. But... You know, and that's kind of what I was saying about me being a person of conviction. Is I'm the kind of person who, even though I'll feel that, I'll at the same time know that I I'm not going to live my life just as a not disappointment. I have to mm. actually do what I want with my life, and I may disappoint some other people, but you know, they'll get over it. Yeah, like it, it's not their life. Exactly, it's, and I, it's my yeah, life, not theirs. Absolutely, and I think that's. I mean, I think that's huge for a lot of people, that idea of that I'm disappointing somebody. And again, it's not even just the, you know, oh, you had this great job. Like you said, I think that's a really key point is that it's not about the stability. I think so many of us, especially in, you know, the Western world we live in, we can live on a lot less. Yeah. You know, and I, I know that for myself. Literally, there were years where I would make a 10... 10x multiple more than a year I'd made. I just remember that year that I made the littlest I've ever put on a tax return. That year was 
probably the happiest year of my life because I was doing what I loved and I was pursuing the things I loved. And right. I was meeting my baseline. Like I think that's a big thing for people is like figure out what you absolutely need and then you know, if you can live on that and if you can live on less, like do the thing that you want to do. So you mentioned, you know, I think putting yourself in a place where you're okay with living less. You're okay with living, you know, at the minimum because you know you're pursuing something greater. So when you move to New York, you know, you're living on less. Mm-hmm. Um, that puts you in a place in a way where you were okay to make this move, right? Because you were okay to say like, I'm living on less now and I'm, but I'm doing the thing I want to do. Yeah. Anyway, so, okay. So now you're, you're leaving this job, you're, you're coding, you're building this app. Yeah. Um, where does this take you? Yeah. So it was a really chaotic time. Honestly, it's kind of, kind of a dark time. I, Realized that the call, the thing that I went to college for, I probably wasn't going to do. I was just living in this really expensive city with nothing and not really much of a concrete plan. I mean, yeah, I was, I was making a game, but who knows? Like, okay, so what? Like, you've made a game now. What do you do with it? You sure. Know, like, you don't have a company. You don't have, you don't have an income. There's from a there million like that. apps. And There's games a million out there, yeah. different apps and things like that. Yeah, exactly. I was kind of at a point where I was like, I'm living in this gigantic expensive city where there's so many hassles and annoyances and there's no reason for it anymore now that I'm not trying to do the sure. music industry thing. Um, so at the at a point it was like, why am I here when I could just be like living a good life in Ohio for much cheaper and still pursuing the same video game thing and also maybe like, you know, my my girlfriend's dad is looking for people to work for his company, so why don't I just give that a shot since I've really got nothing else much going on? And so I ended up moving to Columbus with really not much of a concrete plan. Um, just maybe, potentially, maybe working for him at some point, but definitely still making games. That's kind of the key to it all, is no matter what, no matter whether, whether things are going good or going bad or whether you're making money or not making money or have a job or you're unemployed, whatever, doesn't matter. No matter what, you need to always be working on something that you personally care about. Yeah. As long as you keep doing that, eventually you'll find a way to make it work in the long term. Mm. And a, a, actually a, a kind of famous example I would, I would bring up for this point is uh, back when Pixar was kind of floundering, because it was floundering for like, like 10 years or something like that before they even made a movie. And they didn't know what they wanted to be. And then Steve Jobs took over the company and he was trying to get them to start making computers, blah, blah, blah. But everyone there really wanted to do animation. And so John Lasseter kept making these shorts just because he knew that it was what he really liked. And then eventually that ended up being what they ended up doing was they ended up becoming an animation studio because they just kept making these beautiful animated shorts Mm -hmm. and they decided to make a full-length movie. And that's kind of the thing with me is like, if just keep working on whatever it is that you care about and at some point it'll come to fruition and maybe not in the way that you expect, but it will. So yeah, I moved to Columbus and I was still working on uh, the game that I was working on. I started picking up work as a contractor and I was still able to make a living um, you know, on the side as doing tutoring and Ubering and, and all sorts and, and music. You know, I still to this day play the organ. So and the, and that's another thing where to this day, my wife thinks I'm crazy about is that even when I didn't have any gigs or any jobs or anything like that lined up, I would still practice the organ (laughs) just because it was something that I cared about and I Mm. knew it was something that I wanted to do. I didn't know how I wanted to do it, but I knew that I wanted to do it. 
And so I kept practicing, and now I have a job at a church where I play every every weekend. And yeah, you just kind of you just kind of find ways to make things work. I started going to all sorts of indie gaming um, uh, organizations, meetups, and things like that here in Columbus until I I was presenting at a well not presenting, but I had a booth at a convention here, and that's where I first met the people who are now my employers at mm. the at the game yeah. studio that I work for now. So you started this game. You mentioned kind of there wasn't really a plan. It was just like I want to do this. I want to like code and make this a game. Mm-hmm. Um, so did you have a did you ever have an idea of like maybe one day I'll you know work for a game studio? Maybe it's like or is that like the craziest thing in your head at that point? Or no. And this is kind of this is kind of what I was saying is that no matter what, you need to just be working all the time on something that yeah, yeah, you personally sure. care about. And so when I started making this game, it wasn't. It wasn't with the intent of one day working for a bigger company. It wasn't with the intent of getting a paycheck. But you love doing it. Yeah, exactly. It was more just my point of view on it, and it still is because I still work on my own indie indie projects. And I still have the same point of view with those indie projects, which is I want this thing to exist. No one else is going to make it exist because no one else has this idea. Not I want to profit off this. Yes. Right. I mean, hopefully you'll profit but, off but it. But the first but idea, that's not, yeah. Yeah, but that's not priority number one. Priority number one, two, and three is I want this to exist. It doesn't exist. No one else can make it exist. Therefore, I will make it exist. And you have to constantly be doing that, in my opinion. Yeah. Is, 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 bringing those, is, is creating those kinds of things that you feel like only you can create. So I made this mobile game that took me about a year. And I started taking it to conventions and stuff like that, which was super fun. Two of the employees of the company where I now work uh, came by my booth and mm. they they saw my work, and so you just just real quick you had a booth just yourself right yeah just yeah. me so yeah those those two people my two now coworkers came by my booth and we got to know each other a bit it was probably a good year later that it was just on Facebook one of the uh, indie gaming organizations in Columbus the owner of the company that I now work at posted um, that they were looking for a game designer. And it was funny because I decided to just apply because I thought, why the hell not? Um, yeah. I didn't actually expect it to go anywhere. I followed up almost just out of habit because I was actually looking at two other jobs at the same time. You know, it kind of goes back to my, I guess I guess in a, some ways my college business degree had, did come in useful because just out of again, out of habit, out of certain things that I learned there um, about like making sure to follow up on LinkedIn and you know right. show yeah. your interest in the company and all that kind of stuff and do background research on on the company and and their goals and make sure to actually you know become familiar with their products and stuff like that. I just became one of the front runners for the the search for a game designer. I was actually, as, as I was saying, I was in the running for two other jobs at the same time. Both are programming jobs. One, both and and both using a game engine called Unity, but neither of them technically making games, more just making software applications. Mm. And it was it was kind of ironic because at the start, the other two companies I was I were I was angling for were IBM and then this company that makes these like virtual reality health simulations. And just to be clear, this is all off experience that you've got, like you went and got on your own. Yeah. Yeah. It's YouTube. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. You, 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 the YouTube is like university tube. And just, Um. (laughs) just curious, just because I'm curious, what, like, where did you go? Like how how much time passed from when you knew nothing to when you're applying for these jobs? Mm, About four years. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And you're doing other it's things a college too. College degree. Right. 100%. Uh, yeah. But on your own and a lot cheaper. Yeah. 
and infinitely cheaper. I was gunning for all three jobs at the same time. And at first when it started out, I was like, IBM is number one, this health company is number two, this other game designer position I heard about was number three. And then I interviewed for all three of them and I was like, all right, game design is number one, uh, health yeah. company is number two, IBM is number three. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so basically, I ended up getting an offer from both the health company and the game mm. designer company. But that, at that point, I was like, I have the, act, the opportunity to actually make video games yeah. full time. Yeah. Like, I'm going to go to an office and spend eight hours a day literally just making video games and mm. getting paid good money for it. And I was yeah. like, well, I'm doing that. Yeah. Um, and also, and, and not only just being able to do it, but also the, the stuff that I would learn on the job that I, sure. could, that I could put into future projects. I was like, I, yeah. can't, I, can't, I can't turn that down. So that's the one that I ended up going with. So let's go back to your college days. Did you oh, ever great. think you'd end up here? Oh, no. Yeah. Not at all. But, and, and I think, say, so that said, um, you never thought you'd end up here, but would you say that you're, you're happy with where you're at, right? Oh, totally. Like you said, it's one of those things, like do what you love, like keep pursuing that no matter what, despite whatever the requirements are in life. Like if you have bills to pay, you need another job, go do that, but still never give up that thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, you know, we can, we never know what our path in life would do if we went somewhere else. Yeah. We just, we only know where we're at. Um, but it's always good to hear stories like that where you ended up somewhere where you're fulfilled in what you do. And you're, you know, you're enjoying what you do and you know that your creative passion is something that you're not only getting paid to do, but something that you're just getting to do every day. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, that's always a good place. I think that's always where, um, I think that's where most people would want to be in life, you know? Yeah. And at the risk of, cause I feel like we've had, we, we talked yesterday about having, giving soft advice where it's kind of more motivational speaking than real, like you need to do A, B and C. Um, and I was, I was talking about earlier I made sure that no matter what I was doing in life, I made sure to always be working on something that I cared about. Mm. That needs to be a discipline thing. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't want to just give soft advice and just say, you need to you know, always pursue your passion, blah, 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 blah. No, no, no. When I say that I made sure to always practice organ even when I didn't have a gig, that meant that I was doing an hour of dedicated practice a day for no particular reason. Mm. Like I would pull out a hymn book and I would start sight reading through a hymn book for an hour a day. Mm. Just because I wanted to know, make sure that I was good enough, so that when opportunity came, it wouldn't pass me by. Yeah, and you're still working eight hours a day doing that. Exactly. Yeah. You'd go home after your regular job, and you'd still do an hour of sight reading a day, which is exhausting, especially after you've been working for eight hours a day. Yeah. And same with coding. Like once I started coding, like I, I actually there was like a little mantra that I started telling myself once I started coding, which was. If you get an opportunity to code, take it. Mm. Like there would be times when I could either code or I could like work on, I don't know, like maybe work on some music or even like do like just like clean up my house or whatever or do my laundry or, or, or whatever. Maybe there's a cool new TV show on and I had to decide <laughs> what I wanted to do with my time. And I had to always just, I just would just always repeat this mantra to myself, which was when you get an opportunity to code, take it. Mm. And I w was coding for it at, at the start, probably like three to four hours a day. And I tried to make sure that every week I was 
putting out a new feature in the game that I was working on. So that kind of discipline, that kind of yeah. self-discipline is extremely important. Even when you don't know exactly what it is that you want to do, and I'm saying find something that you care about and do that, sure. don't just do it willy-nilly. Find a way to turn it into a regimen, yeah. like, like I did. Find a so way, were you doing something every day? Yes, yeah. every day, and find, find a way to, to quantify it to where you can say, okay, at the end, every Friday, I must have a new feature implemented in the game. And people will think, you're f***ing crazy. My, my wife does. She would literally tell me all the time, like, you don't have to do this. You don't have to practice yeah, for an hour a day. Sure. Nothing will happen if you don't. And I was like, no, you don't understand. I do have to practice for an hour yeah. a day. Because if I don't, then this is never going anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. So, And I think, and just to highlight that, because it's like, you know, that's just a light example of like what external forces are going to tell you, you know, what other people are going to tell you about. Yes. You know, you're crazy for doing that. This is not like, what are you spending yes. all your time on? Um, my response to that is like, people ask me like, you know, oh, have you seen the latest episode of Fill in the Blank Show? And I'm like, I mean, you should watch Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah, okay, cool. whatever. But um, <laughs> no, but people ask me that. They're like, you know, what, do you, what have you been watching lately? I'm like, I don't, I really don't watch anything. And they're like, what do you mean you don't watch anything? I'm like, I, I'm like, that's just my, that's the way I've decided to purpose my time. I'm like, and it can be different for everybody, but yeah. I mean, and I get fulfillment out of other things. Like I, I made this rule for myself, I think years ago where I said any entertainment I consume, because at the time I, I think I was coming out of a season where, um, I, I was still self-employed at the time and I had all this free time mm-hmm. and looking back, you know, I'm just like, wow, what would I do at that time now? You know, but I had all this free time. I was consuming a lot of content, and I decided in my like, um, people call it my eat, pray, love trip because I went to Indonesia or whatever. I went to Bali. People would tell me like, you know, this this like rediscovery period for me. Like, I started changing all these things. I started exercising, dieting, um, just living more with a purpose. But one of the things I made as a change was I said, any entertainment I consume is going to be. Um, it's going to do something for me. Like I want it to either inspire me. I want it to educate me. I want to do something. I want every single piece of entertainment I consume to do something. I don't want to spend any wasted time. Yeah. Um, and I think that's kind of what we're alluding to here is that just in general, your time is valuable. You know, your time is, is a finite resource. It's all, it's something that you only get a little bit of. And so, you know, how are you spending it? And I think that's something I, I, you know, I don't shame people for this. I don't like look down on anybody for spending time, but it's like, you know, if you're spending hours a day watching Netflix or hours a day on YouTube or on the internet or whatever, like just start with a little bit of it, make a little bit more of it productive, make a little yeah. bit more of it like educational or something that you're going to value, get value from. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's why I love what you're talking about when you say, make it a habit, make it a regiment, make it something that's like a tangible schedule because otherwise who are, like, who's going to keep you accountable to that? You know, yeah, and it's like it, because only you understand the value of what you're pursuing, um, right. and I think again that's the thing when other people try to tell you like why you it, it's it's even a great parallel when like you start like dieting like so for me I've been off mm-hmm. coffee and sugar um, for about a month, and people are like oh, I don't like, know how I live without coffee <laughs> I mean I'm back to it now it's fine <laughs> okay good uh, but but no but when a, people would come and say like oh I've you know I've got cookies or like cake like oh just have one and it's like no like I'm I'm not doing that. Like yeah. I made this decision for myself. I'm not doing that because I my goals are are my priority. And people are like, well, why would you do that? And I think you just look at any parallel like that. And it's like only you are going to hold yourself account- accountable in the truest way to, to do what you know you need to do. Yeah. Um, but yeah. 
Because if you don't care that much about it, why should anyone No one else? else is going to, absolutely. And especially those things that seem crazy or that seem yeah. silly. But I think that's a good thing. Um, get in that space where you know that you're doing something you know, creative, something that you enjoy. And again, even if you're in a, even if you're in that place in life where you have to support a family, where you have to, you know, work that nine to five that you hate, um, start planning your next thing, like start pursuing that next thing. And like, even if you don't know how it looks yet, like if you're not doing anything at all, if you're just hoping for the next thing, like, yeah, sorry, but like probably not going to happen. You're just sitting and waiting. If you're not satisfied with your current, where you are in life, you're, it's not just going to change on its own. You have to change You have it to change it. Absolutely. Yeah. Do what you love every day. Remember, we're talking about doing something that you enjoy every day for simply that reason alone. Because it's creative energy that keeps your thought metabolism active and growing. For example, if you love to write poetry but haven't written a poem in months, what is misaligned? I've heard all the excuses under the sun. Life gets busy. I have a full-time job. I have kids. I, yeah, I get it. But unless you haven't watched any movies lately, you already deleted Instagram from your phone, disabled your Netflix, get less than seven hours of sleep, then I'm just not hearing what you're saying. Take a moment before this next week, say a Saturday or a Sunday, and plan out just a little bit of time in your schedule every single day to do something you love. 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever you want to start with. You don't have to be writing a business plan or thinking about how you can monetize it. Just do it because you love it. Dream so big that you get physical goosebumps. Then get back to work on that path that your dreams begin to outline for you. Do something you love, learn something new, go to work, fulfill your responsibilities, but find fulfillment that you made the most of today. Thanks again so much for listening. Uh, This has been episode two of Crazy Enough. Once again, I can hardly believe the response uh, the show has gotten in just a few short weeks. Thank you so much to everyone who sent me a message of kind words, encouragement. Truly, it means so much to hear from y'all. That said, if you have not already, please be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed what you heard, please feel free to leave a rating and let me know on social media. I'm at Joey Poore, that's J-O-E-Y-P-O-R-E, on all social platforms. And the show is crazyenough.podcast on Instagram. That's crazyenough.podcast. Don't forget the dot. We'll see you in the next one. All right, well, any last thoughts, any last words before we close out? Um, O-H-I-O, that's what the people around here say. <laughs> um, Ohio? Yeah, it's it, the worst slogan of all time. You spell the word Ohio? Yeah, it's really <laughs> dumb, but that's what they do. Yeah. Um.